I'm not scared because I love the fact that we can be generous with our things. I love the fact that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. I love the fact that Scripture recognizes what money and our stuff can do to our souls. And it can do good things, and it can do bad things. And so we're going to talk about that today in a really candid and honest way. But before I get into that, I want to say this. In the United Methodist Church, we believe that to be followers of Jesus, there are five things that we should be doing and doing regularly. The first is prayer. And you'll remember two weeks ago I preached about prayer and I said prayer is like this really hard thing to figure out, right? Like Michelle's dad was sick and we prayed 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 for him to be healed. And what I was praying was for him to like walk in full health and be really healed. And so when I hear people say like, oh yeah, well, he's ultimately healed now, that's not what I was talking about when I was talking to God. I wanted him to be here and to be well. And so I don't know what to do about prayer when it doesn't work, right? But here's what I do with it. This is the way I think about it. When I pray and pray and pray and pray about things, at least, the, at, at the minimum, at least I'm getting to spend time like just in the moment thinking about God with me. That's the least. And I think also what can happen is that God uses my prayers to hammer and shape me into a vessel that can receive the answered prayer. Whatever that may be. And so it's not so much about getting God to do something for me. It's about how God shapes me and molds me and helps me become the person that I need to be. So I talked about prayer two weeks ago. And last week I talked about presence because we say those five things are prayer, presence, gifts, service, and witnessing. And so last week I wanted to talk about presence and how important it is for us to be present, right? Like to be here. But not just to be here, but when we're here, be here. And not there. And when I'm at home with my family, to be with my family, to be present with them and not somewhere else. And when I'm with my friends, to be with my friends, to be with them and not be somewhere else. And how the fear that we have of how other people view us and what the expectations we place on ourselves, that fear causes us to not live in the moment. Because I'll be thinking, I've got to reply to these text messages. I've got to send these emails out. I've got to do this other work. And I can do that with the kids in the car with me and not be with them. And it's all based on fear of like, am I living up to the expectation? And I reminded us last week, that it's not the expectations we place on ourselves or the other people place on us that we find, where we find our worth. Our worth, our intrinsic value, comes from the fact that we were created by God who loves us. And God loves us so much. There's nothing we can do to cause God to love us less. And there's nothing we can do to cause God to love us more. We are just loved. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't do enough to earn it. We can't screw up enough to lose it. We're loved. 
And so today, I want to talk about gifts. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture to you. The first one comes from Paul's first letter to his friend Timothy. So Paul, if you don't know, uh, I tried to tell a story to the kids about him. He was, he was a scholar. He was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, and he was really, really good at it. Like, he was one of the top guys. He had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of influence. He had a lot of power. And he uh, ended up falling in love with Jesus and the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus living that, that he learned about. And he became one of the greatest uh, writers of Christian theology and philosophy ever known. And we have a bunch of his writings in this book that we call the Bible. And so he wrote this letter to his friend Timothy. We know of two letters, and we call them 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So the first letter he wrote to Timothy, chapter 6, starting with verse 17 and ending with verse 19, says this. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. See, we have this thing that happens to us around stuff. Many of you know Michelle and I and the girls moved here in July and we moved into our house in September. We've been there about three months now. And like the living room looks the way it's supposed to look. The kitchen looks the way it's supposed to look. The bedrooms look the way they're supposed to look. Not maybe as clean as they should be, but they look the way they're supposed to look. The bathrooms look the way they're supposed to look. Every, but if you walked into my garage... It's full of junk. And I don't mean that word like lightly. It, it's mostly junk. Because it's not even valuable enough for me to have gotten out of boxes yet. And sometimes I'll go out there and try to find something in one of the boxes. And it's like, ah, I don't need it that much anyway. But I worked hard for the money. And Michelle worked hard for the money that we bought that junk with. And we thought we needed it. Like we really thought that was something that we needed for some reason. And sometimes... I'll just feel like junk. I'll just feel bad, like whatever's going on in my head. And if I go buy something, anybody ever feel that? Like, so you go and you buy, like, you buy something, and all of a sudden you just, you're like, I feel better. Like, that was good for about five minutes. Right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent that money. I should have done something else with it. The other thing is, um, if I'm really, really stressed out, 90% of the time, it's over personal finances. If Michelle and I are having tension in our marriage, a lot of the times it's because I am really stressed out about money. If I have a hard time sleeping because of my job, it's about the church budget. I'm not alone in that. I guarantee you, if I said, hey, what's some of the biggest stress, name the top five stressors in your lives, all of you at some place would put money in the top five, I would think. And if you're not, we need to be friends because I need you to teach me how to do better. That's just what happens. And so this thing that Paul was writing to Timothy relates to us a lot because he says, for those 
and the present age who are rich, do you know that the bottom 2% in the United States, the, the poorest people in the United States, rank among the richest people in the world? A lot of studies will say the 2%, like the lowest 2% in the United States as far as wealth, rank in the top 10% worldwide. One study I read had the poorest 2% and the top 5% worldwide. This relates to us. It was written over a thousand years, almost 2,000 years ago now, and it relates to us. We are those in the present age who are rich. So listen again to what Paul says to Timothy. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. On the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he goes on to say, be generous and do good things so that you can take hold of the life that really is life. See, when I'm feeling a lot of stress about finances... I know, I know that I'm not living life that really is life. I know in those moments that my things are possessing me and controlling me instead of me controlling them. There's this book in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, this, the part of the Bible that Jesus read called Ecclesiastes. And we think that King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. And King Solomon was King David's son, you know, from David and Goliath, that story. So this guy that wrote Ecclesiastes, we think was David's son. And we think that, uh, well, Scripture tells us he was one of the wisest people to ever live. But historians who can really relate old time, like ancient times to modern times and figure things out, say that in relatively, Solomon was the richest person to ever walk on the planet. In the history of humanity, we think the guy who wrote this was the richest person to ever walk on the planet. Like, he would make Warren Buffett and Bill Gates seem average. He was that rich. Listen to what he says. And I, I, I feel like this is one of the most hopeful passages in all of the Bible. And I'll explain to you why in a minute. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So that's why we think it's Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been. In the ages before us, the people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. Now, you're probably like, Ross, you said that was hopeful, and basically all it's saying is like, nothing matters. 
yes, that is what it is saying. And yes, I am, say, am saying it's hopeful. And here's why. How many of you loved recess in elementary school? It was the greatest, right? I mean, it was a break in the day that was necessary so you could go out and you could run and you could play and you could have a great time. How many of you remember which swing was your swing on the playground? I see one, two, mine, three, four, five, just a few hands. How many of you had a swing that was your swing? Man, I don't know about you people. I had a swing. And if you were at Sunset Elementary School in Carlsbad, New Mexico, and you walked out of the first, second, and third grade wing of the school to the playground that we played on, and you were looking at the swing sets, my swing was the furthest to the left. And the reason it was my swing is because it had the deepest hole underneath it, and I was tall, and so my feet wouldn't scrape the ground on that one. Plus, it didn't squeak. I hated that squeaky noise, and it was fast. It felt like it was a fast swing and would swing higher. And so, and if you got right up to the top and you jumped out, you could, you could like fly, right? You could kind of fly. It's okay. You could fly to wherever you were headed. And so, but if somebody got my swing, it was a big deal to me that day. It was a big deal. And it, and it really was like to my second grade mind and heart and soul, it was a problem if somebody got the swing I wanted to be on when I wanted to be on it. A big deal. But we laugh because we know it's not a big deal, right? It's vapor. So this passage in Ecclesiastes where the teacher says, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It could also say vapor. It's all vapor. It's there one moment, you hold it, you can see it, and then, and then it's just gone. The thing I cared about most on that swing set, I don't care about now. And nor would I care about it again, if I knew then what I know now. I know it doesn't matter. But oftentimes, we chase after things, physical things, the right clothes, the right shoes, the right kinds of stuff that we want, the right kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, whatever your thing is, whatever your hobbies are, you feel like you've got to have the best of that thing, right? You've got to have it. And so you chase after it and you long for it. And, and it creates this sense within us that money is scarce. And it creates this sense that things like stuff is scarce. Now, I do feel like we don't have that same opinion about spiritual gifts, like the gifts of hospitality and the gifts of generosity, sort of, and the gift of like encouragement, the gift of leadership. We feel like those gifts maybe are abundant, like we have lots of that to share with people if we can find that place in our soul that, that gets filled by us giving. But when it comes to physical, tangible things, we're controlled by vapor. We're controlled by vapor. It does not matter. It's a swing set to a second grader. We think it matters, but it doesn't. What happens oftentimes is we allow our stuff to keep us from grabbing hold of the life that really 
is life. Our stuff keeps us from being present with the people that we most need to be present with. Our stuff keeps us from being able to really recognize the abundant life and gifts that Jesus gives us. And time out, put a pin in that because I have something I really need to say to you. There's this idea that is uh, propagated by a lot of TV preachers that if you take money and you put it in the offering plate, that God is going to multiply that ten times and return it to you. So if you put $100 in the offering plate, it'll be multiplied, and then you will end up just randomly receiving $1,000. If that were true, I mean, we would... (laughs) There would be no poor people, because that's the best investment plan ever. You just say to somebody who's poor, hey, put everything you have in that plate, and then wait a few weeks... And it's like chain mail, right? Wait a few weeks and all of a sudden you're going to get a bunch of money in the mail somehow. So when you hear preachers saying that, they're lying. They know that's not right. They know from the reality of the situation that's not true and it's not right. But here is what's true about that. Because they take a biblical passage and they twist it. So there's this passage in Malachi about giving. And, and, and when you give of things, it will be multiplied and returned to you. But what God is talking about through the prophet Malachi is the blessing will be returned to you. And would you agree that money is not the only blessing that there is? So I could take... and put it in the offering plate, and it's not going to be returned to me tenfold financially. But what's going to happen is that gift will be multiplied somehow. We truly believe that God will multiply that gift somehow and spread it out over the world. And that I am blessed to be a blessing. And what really happens in that moment is that I'm freed up and i can then grab hold of the life that really is life because i want that i don't want to be possessed by vapor i don't want to have sleepless nights over things that 50 years from now when i'm on my deathbed i'm going to be like that was stupid that was a waste of time to get stressed out about that and i think you would agree with me. You don't either. So every single week, I stand here and I preach what I call Act 2 of my sermon. Every week. And I hold these plates and I say, we're going to pass around the offering plates. And I say, put whatever you can in there and that this is a way that God has given us to free ourselves from being possessed by our possessions. And I mean it. Because we oftentimes are possessed by vapor. A thing that's there one moment and we can see it and then it's gone. You know, they say that if you think of the history of the earth as being from one, the tip of one finger to the tip of the opposite finger, and you spread your hands out. And then you take a nail file and you file off a part of your nail, the dust from the nail that you filed off, and flip it up into the air. That's 
the dust is the known history of humanity. We don't matter as much as we think we matter. Thank God that I don't matter as much as I think I matter. Life is to be lived and enjoyed, and instead we try to grab onto vapor. We chase after it like our life and the history of the world depends on it. When the reality is, Jesus says, what gains it a person to have the whole world and lose their soul? We are freed by giving and generosity. As United Methodists, we believe prayer, presence, gifts, giving them away so that we're not possessed by them. Give it away and bless other people with it and trust that that blessing is happening and be blessed by that. But it's scary because our mind has been told for generations that we need more stuff and we need more stuff and we need need more stuff. And it turns out that that's fear driving us once again. I got to spend time last Sunday afternoon with Jim and Jackie Maxson uh, I, ho- I hope a lot of you know them, and if you don't, you really need to know them. Jim and Jackie give. They give. Uh, I mean, they, they give financially like a lot of us do, but they give of themselves. If you meet them, you will recognize that they're present with you. They're there with you in the moment that you're talking to them. If you say, hey, I need you to pray about something, it's not that they're just going to pray. They're also going to call you and check on you. If you need something, they're going to try to figure out a way to help you get what it is that you need. They are generous, giving people. And I spent some time Sunday talking to them and recorded parts of our conversation so that we could listen to it today because they have a lot to teach us about what it means to be living generously. So watch this video. comes from our relationship with God. Uh, It's a necessary discipline uh, for me in that it's an opportunity um, to express my gratitude for what He does in my life. And uh, I've had times in my life of scarcity and I've had times abundance. My wanting to come at life uh, from generosity uh, uh, stems from gratitude to God for what I've received in my lifetime. I, I somewhere along the way in my journey, I uh, was able to see God as creator of everything. And so um, I'm always, I always get a chuckle about uh, when we pass on to the life uh, everlasting, I envision God as uh, standing by as we pass through, uh, maybe St. Peter passed through the gates and says, what did you do with the gifts I, I gave you during your lifetime? And so um, it's out of that gratitude of what I've received. And I think also the, the model that, uh, that, that uh, God's Son, Jesus Christ, uh, gives us in his lifetime on earth, God incarnate, and how he lived his life. Uh, 
God blesses me through those opportunities he gives me to be generous. When, when I can see the relief on a person's face because I was able to help them um, either monetarily or in some other way, um, just the gift of listening to them, uh, it always comes back to being a blessing to me. So, um, God, I've learned that God uses uh, what we perceive as an adversity uh, to later be a blessing. You always steal my thunder. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to no, say. No. <laughs> uh, God is love, and um, one of the, the great commandments is to love our neighbor as ourself. And the interesting thing that I have learned in the spirit of what Jackie just shared is uh, the more I give, the more I receive back in terms of, uh, of um, making a difference in someone's life. I give love, love comes back to me. Start with their love of God and what can they do um, for him? What can they do for the kingdom? Uh, if it's not financially, um, they have their spiritual gifts, they have their time, they have other ways that they can give to God. It was a time back in the 1980s when my world caved in on me and I really wondered whether I was going to be able to support my family and all of that. But through all that, I uh, I received so many blessings. It's all hindsight's always twenty twenty, and I think that's how we uh, sort of are able to um, see the fruits of our faith uh, by looking back at what actually happened. The fear on the front end of what's going to happen, and then and then stepping out in faith, uh, even though we're not sure or able to do something, but to do something, and then to see the fruit of that. And, and more often than not, when I've when I've gone beyond that fear step and 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 uh, stepped out in faith and given, even though uh, maybe I had to cheat something or give up something in order to be able to do that, I had been blessed beyond uh, uh, reason often in terms of what I received back for taking that step of faith. Every time that I preach, I hope to have like an actionable thing at the end of a sermon, something that you can take home or something that you can, an idea that you can leave with that you can put into action. And so this week it's easy because we're doing kind of a traditional thing where we need to know, we need to have a plan for uh, how much we can budget. So if you received one of these cards and you call Morningstar your church, this next part is for you. This next part of what I'm going to be talking about is for you. If you received one of these cards and you're just checking Morningstar out and you're not quite sure if you want this to be your church or not, then don't sweat this. Like, you can listen to this part, but um, I would say to you still, like, it's really incredibly important to live a generous life where you're giving away yourself and the things that can possess you as well. 
And so for those of you who call this church your church, this is our pledge card for this year. And it's traditional in that we're using a pledge card, but it's non-traditional in the way that we're going about it. So I need you to listen close. I'm going to do my best to explain what we're doing here. So on the far uh, left side of the card, it says, in case you want a reminder, we've partnered with Morningstar and committed to give blank per blank. And so for me, I will write down the amount that I'm going to give per month because I tithe, I give 10% of what I make to the church per month. And so I'll write that number down here. Uh, By the way, when I use the word tithe, that's just a church word that means 10% of whatever you produce. And so in ancient times, if a farmer grew grapes, 10% of what the farmer grew was left to give away. And so we've translated that into, because most of us, you know, I mean, I guess if you have a chili farm or onion field or something like that, like you could take 10% of it and and uh, do like a gleaning of the fields or something. That'd be kind of cool. But um, for those of us who don't produce anything that we could give away that way, uh, we give 10% of our income. And so I'll play, I'll write that number there and I'll write per month. And then I'll fold the card and I'll tear that part off. And I'll put it in my pocket because I'm going to take that home and I'm going to put it on the mirror where I shave or I may put it on the refrigerator or something like that just to remind myself that I've made a commitment. Then the center part is kind of the old school pledge drive card. And it says this, we really don't like asking for money, which is true. It's an awkward thing to say like, hey, uh, could you, actually, I lost the thing. Could I have a dollar? Anybody got a dollar? That's weird and awkward, right? And so I don't like asking for money. I don't think any of us do, but it's necessary because we believe we can do big things at Morningstar with just a few extra bucks in the bank. So right now, our budget is about $600,000. We're trying to lower that sum also, but let's just say that like 600 is where we could, where we kept the budget, but we came up with 1.2 million. How amazing would that be because of the things that we could do? So for example, did you know that in Hatch, New Mexico, there is not a United Methodist Church? What if Morningstar was able to come up with enough money to say, let's start a church in Hatch? Let's do it. We have this stuff that we we need to give it away. And so we have the spiritual gifts and we have the financial resources. Let's gather it all up and give it away and give it to Hatch. And start a church there together. Wouldn't that be amazing? Or what if one of you came to me and said, Hey, I've got this friend who's in nursing school and he's got like a semester left and he's about to be out of money completely and he's not going to be able to finish school and his goal is to graduate and then go work someplace like a developing nation or something like that and help to heal people. What if we heard that story and said, Let's be part of that and help that person out somehow? We could do that. We could really, really do that and, and so much more, but we have to free ourselves first. And so what you're going to do is you're going to talk with your family and your friends or yourself, and you're going to pray about it, and you're going to think about it, and then you're going to make a, dis- a, d- a d- decision on how you want to partner with us financially if you want to, because we really, really want to better be Jesus for our community. And so... Uh, Honestly, that costs money. To do it in a tangible way, oftentimes it costs money. And so 
you write down what you commit, circle what you commit. So if it's $25 per week, month, quarter, year, or uh, who knows, somebody might say, I'm going to give $4,000 per month. And then they would write that there, and they would say, like, per month. And then you fold this card. This is the part I need you to pay close attention to, okay? You fold this card, tear it off, and then you were given an envelope. And you'll put this card in the envelope, and then you will write your own address on there. So I will write Ross Whitaker in my address, and then I will put this in the offering plate by the last weekend of December. Seal it. Make sure you seal it before you put it in the offering plate. It will not be opened by anyone except you. So in 2018, we're going to send out quarterly giving statements that also have some news about what's happening at the church financially, how we're doing on our budget, that sort of thing. So every quarter, you'll get a statement. At the end of the third quarter, with your statement, you'll get this card back. And it will have never been opened. And so you can open up, read the newsletter, look at your giving statement, and then open the card and look at it and see how you've been doing. This is so that you can hold yourself accountable to whatever pledge you have made. So by the end of December, place that in the offering plate. And then this card, with the remaining little piece, which is the far side, says, we need a plan, but we don't need your name. So you say, uh, we will pray if you promise to pray for this church and this church's ministries, check that box. If you promise to do your best to be present, and not just here, but everywhere that you are, check that box. And then if you're going to give, write the amount that you're going to give, and whether that's going to be weekly, monthly, quarterly, or yearly. Um, And then the last part is serve and witness. I'll be talking about those next week, but here's the thing. It's not as scary as you think. Most people are more afraid of witnessing than giving money. They would rather give money away than have to say, like, hey, you want me to tell you about Jesus? Um, And so this is the way witnessing works for me. I just tell a story. Something that God did in my life, a place that I see God at work, and I just tell somebody about it. And it's not just some random person. It's somebody that I know and care about. And it's not to try to convince them that they need to believe the way that I believe. It's to share that good things are happening in this world. So the thing I did about hashtag me too, that's witnessing. That's all it is. And so if you can do that, if you can serve in this church and in the community, and you promise to witness as well, check that box, place this in the offering plate, so that we can make a plan. And it's not just a financial plan. Because we're trying to call together the people who like to pray. And so if you check this box, I'll say, hey, you know what? We have about 400 people here on a weekend. 200 of you said that you're, you're like really people who pray. I need you. Those 200, I need you. Or we have this service opportunity, but we don't have enough people. A lot of you check the box that you're going to serve. Step up. And so that's what this is for, okay? So by the last week of December, please place this in the offering plate as well. Does that make sense? Questions? For real, this is talkback time. Man, I did a good job. Proud of myself. So if you have questions about that that you were afraid to voice during this time, uh, find me, find Stuart. We can explain it to you and help you out with that, okay? So that's the action point going forward. But I don't want us to forget the why. The hows, we always get caught up in the hows. But the whys are the important part. And the why we do this 
is not so that we can boost the church up and make this be a church that has a lot of really cool stuff and all the bells and whistles. I really don't care. Like if all we had was a great big tent and and we're singing some songs together and stuff, I think that would be just fine as long as we're people who go and do. So don't forget that like part of giving of ourselves and giving of our stuff is empowering us to go and grab on to the life that really, really is life.